Hello and welcome to The Artist Appeals. I'm your host, Erin Sparler, and today in this episode, we speak with one of the professors from the art department at Dickinson College. He's been working there since 2007, and today we get into philosophical discussion about the differences between abstraction and representation, how media shapes our world, and even an interesting conversation about clients' expectations and how they can affect your career and your creativity. So if you're into philosophical discussions, this is the episode for you. Please help me and welcome Todd Arsenault to The Artist Appeals. So welcome. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really fantastic to us today. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 so much fun to do these shows and I'm going to start out with a couple of rapid fire questions for this season. So, just nice. answer with whatever comes to mind off the top <laughs> of your head. All right. So, what is the one thing you love to do or create the most? Um, I mean, it, it kind of always goes back to painting for me. So, I'll I'll go with painting if I do I have only one choice? No. <laughs> I mean, I did say one thing, but I no. mean, I'll go. I mean, my process will probably maybe I'll talk about this later, but it's it's a, kind of a lot of interconnected parts. So, um, I mean, I think there's a bit of a hierarchy where um, in the end, painting is the thing that I, I find most challenging and mm-hmm. therefore kind of most fulfilling. So but drawing, you know, digital media, sound, music, video, anything 2D printmaking. Right. And, you know, it's really the kind of symbiotic relationship between those things. Um, but in the end, I'm, I think I'm always looking for how it's going to feed the painting. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Number two, what is the one thing you hate to create or do the most? Um, Ooh, that's, that's tricky. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if stretching canvas counts, but I hate priming and and building canvases. That's one thing I could do without, um, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I, I think if, uh, if there's something I hate to create, I probably don't create it. I would say so. (laughs) All right. So question number three. What is the number one top selling, top grossing or most successful piece of art or thing that you've ever done? Is there one thing that has gotten you more recognition, like one piece or one whatever? Like, what is that one thing that you've had hit? Hmm. Um, I don't know if there's anything of that hit. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not like, you know, crazy famous. So, uh, I mean, I I had a piece in one of my early exhibitions that sold for, you know, what at that time for me was, uh, you know, was an amount that I actually didn't even feel comfortable with. Um, Yes. So, yeah. And, and, but then the story was, then it was returned later because the collector didn't think it was going to make enough money later on at auction that I hadn't, my market value hadn't risen enough within like six months. So that's kind of tells you something about the art market. Right. And ultimately why I kind of just really withdrew from that part of it in a, in a way, right. This idea of, um, you know, making work solely for it's kind of commercial value is something that, uh, you know, I had a, I had to grapple with for a while. So fine art is an investment. 
I remember there was a guy down here uh, around me that started a gallery for a little while. And um, that was his marketing was that fine art was an investment. So he was looking at it as an investment opportunity for people and the growth. And certainly in New York and some of the big cities, isn't that the the trend to look at and purchase art as an investment mm-hmm. that is going to accrue in value like a stock. Right. Uh, it's, 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 it's absolutely a, a stock and people, you know, the problem is, um, you know, the returns people can get on it. I mean, my, my sort of thing with it is if someone wants to buy it as an investment and they, they love the work, right. That's great. But it's the speculation of not, you know, not really caring about what the work is and just putting it in a warehouse and kind of sitting on it. And then, of course, getting upset with the I mean, I've had people email me and say, well, what are you doing? Why, you know, and well, I'm being an artist, I'm making art, you know, but but they, you know, they feel like, well, I bought this because I, I need to sell it at like, a, you know, 5000 percent markup, you know, which I would never see. Right. And this is the sort of thing with the secondary mark. Anyhow, that's, <laughs> that's no, a whole long discussion. <laughs> no, but that's the kind of discussion I like to have on these. This is what's fun about it is because you never hear about that angle of people who are buying work. And then turning around and reselling it for profit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, as the artists, don't benefit from that. But that's amazing that they've actually emailed you and said, hey, what are you doing to increase the value of your artwork for yeah. my monetary gain? Yeah. And the question's posed in a way it's kind of not like, hey, what are you doing? It's like, what are you doing? Like, do you do anything? <laughs> do you, are you making art? Are you trying? You know, like. Like my whole goal is just to like try to up my sort of status and my market value, which is a really tricky thing when you start to read about how how galleries work, you know, how they kind of control their artists markets. You know, yeah. it's it's an insane business that the, the blue chip level is is, um you know, it's yeah, it's it's totally about. Uh, this idea of, of making returns and it's, it's very, you know, specifically calculated and um, it's something, I mean, that's, you know, that's fine. And I don't have anything against, I mean, you know, I don't, you know, it's not a direction I strive for uh, and I don't have any issues with artists who um, are, you know, are doing that and benefiting from it, especially as long as you're making good, good work. I mean, I think as an artist, you know, yeah, artists deserve to make a living and hopefully they're taking that money and, um, and putting it into making good work. When an artist just kind of keeps churning out the same thing over and over because they know it, it can sell, you know. They um, found a niche. They found a niche. And I, again, I, I know people need to make money. And if people, I mean, I, there's so many ways to, to be an artist. And in the end, there I is. think that if you're, if you're happy making the work, I mean, that's important. And if people want it, then, you know, I have no problems with that. But I think, you know... Uh, I don't know if it's, I think at the, and I'm not talking about artists who are selling things for like, you know, a couple hundred dollars or, you know, I'm talking about artists who are like, well, I can, I know I can keep making this thing and sell it at, you know, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or half a million dollars. Um, and that, that sort of stuff is, and, and also, I mean, if you keep making the same thing at that level, it's going to, you know, I mean, it's, then you get into like saturating the market and and then work becomes devalued and you see 
my thought process is, is that it really depends on your focus and what your underlying goal is, you know, is your underlying goal to create a new style? Um, like one of the artists I talked to in season five, he just patented a technique. That's, that's like something that you hear in the art history books, this idea of coming up with a new style. But then right. I've also talked to artists whose, you know, goal is primar primarily financial and to show up the galleries and to say, I can do this on my own and to be yeah. in in that high level market doing fashion work and doing, you know, really high level stuff. And then I've also talked to quilt designers who mm -hmm. make quilting patterns or glass blowers. And it really depends on, you know, what your, your passion is. So, okay. So we're in the rapid fire questions. We did. What do you love to make? You said painting, but a whole symphony of things. What do you hate? You said stretching canvas and what was your number one top selling thing? So, or some most successful thing that hit. So it was a painting, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually a large scale drawing. Uh, so it was a work oh. on paper, but it's a painting on paper, I guess you would say, but works on paper tend to be called drawings. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So number four, what is the weirdest or funniest experience you've ever had as an artist? Has anything um, ever been stolen, dropped, destroyed? And, you know, it could be tragic too. <laughs> yeah, there are, yeah, there's, there are a number. Um, I mean, I think that story, kind of that story I just told, I guess, unfortunately, I'm, I don't mean to, I wish I'd come up with new material, but <laughs> the idea of someone returning, uh, you know, a, a piece of uh, work that I had, you know, that like for me was a, a kind of this, big affirming thing, you know, in my young artistic right. career. And, and then the gallerist says, oh, well, they, they gave it back to me, you know, and, and the gallery couldn't, they weren't going to make me give the money back. So the gallery had to take the hit and then, okay. So actually, you know, this story does go someplace else because it's actually become something very fascinating to me. So this, the gallery had to take this work back. Right. And, and then I've never heard of that. So, yeah, well, it's a, it's actually kind of common in, in galleries in, in New York because the idea is like, you know, and maybe I'm giving their secrets away. I don't know. But if you're working with like a certain clientele base and, you know, it's like this idea of like being happy with the, the product. Right. And if, if someone, you know, there might be like a six month time frame where it's like, okay, well, if like you don't love this, you know, we'll, we'll be willing to take it, you know, and it's different yeah. with every gallery, with every client. It's not like it's some like, you know, that's a thing. Galleries are very, can be very handshake. Um, and, you know, as and far as I collectors know. and collectors collect. So they want yeah. them coming back and collecting yeah. more. Exactly. You're trying it to makes keep, complete sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're trying to, to maintain their, their base. So, um, so they took the work back and then the gallery, you know, they didn't ask me for the money back, luckily, because I'd already, I'd already spent it. It was spent before I had it, because uh, I was living in New York. And so <laughs> I, um, so they had to then resell the, the work, right, to try to recoup some of the money. And I think they couldn't sell it for as, you know, of course, it was a 50-50 split um, in terms of uh, what they took and what they gave me. So then they had to sell it for kind of like half the initial price, essentially. Um, and so they sold it. Years later, Amazon for a while, I don't know if Amazon still has this, but Amazon tried to get into the art game and they had this kind of like art, um, you know, like sales site, you know, and I think you right. would register as an artist or a gallery. And so suddenly I think I was curious as the gallery shut down in the meantime, and I didn't know what happened to that, to that work. It was, you know, just kind of 
kind of lost to me. So <sighs> I kind of started searching for it and I found it come up on the Amazon site for like a really ridiculous price. Like someone must have paid, I don't know if they overpaid for it themselves and then they marked it up, but it's on a site with a lot of interesting artists on a gallery, like a lot of interesting artists. And um, it was up there for a while and then it kind of disappeared. And then it showed up at another gallery um, a few years later. And it was also being sold for maybe a slightly lower, but still kind of to me, ridiculous price. And um, and then since then, it's kind of just disappeared. And I have no no sense of what's happened to it. But I kind of love that. Like, I have this real curiosity about uh, the idea. I mean, I like this idea that my work gets out there and it floats around and I don't really know where it is, but it's kind of having this life of its own. Right. Yeah. It's like a child. It's gone out of the nest and it's having its own life. But isn't that also frustrating in a way as an artist that like you've released it and you can't track it? Like at least children call home. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like the miss. Like I like to think and you know I like to kind of make up stories about and think like you know maybe someone, maybe someone has. It's a big piece. It's like six. It's like um, it's like six by eight feet at least, and it's, it's a multi, big piece. It's multi panels of paper wow. that have to fit together, and it was never really properly mounted so part of me likes to think like maybe someone got in there like hey we're gonna like properly you know build out a support for this and and mount it and maybe it's hanging in a public space because it's so large or part of me is like it could be sitting like in someone's basement like rotting away but they're both really but they're but i'm not very precious about my work like it's it's both those things are really interesting to me if i had a piece of work that like i thought was that I loved and I thought it was like rotting away or something happened to it. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like, uh, it's too bad, but if I, if, you know, if it's like something, and this is a work, I, this is a piece I actually really like. It was a very important, I think, piece in terms of my, my sort of, um, development. So yeah, but I like to think about, you know, maybe someday it'll, it'll turn back, turn up, you know? Awesome. Very cool. So, um, the last one is what is the most important piece of advice you would give to yourself if you were just starting out today? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, good question for the seniors I'll have this, this year. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, I mean, the most important advice is, uh, and I give this to students a lot, and I think it's something that I tried to tell myself, but sometimes it was hard to take the advice, which is, it's a, oh, it's a long. This is when you're 18, 20, oh, 25. Uh, 45 you know it's a long it's it's a long game right and it's it's the kind of marathon not the sprint and there's times when you you have to sprint and you have to um you know try to capitalize on opportunities but there are times you know in in kind of looking back at some things that I went through there are times when it just feels like it's not happening it's not working out and it's like, this is it. Like, I'm never gonna, I mean, I never said I was never going to make art again, but it's kind of like this, more like this, because I always was totally committed. That's something I'll never, I don't think I'll ever question, but it's this idea that, well, it's never going to go anywhere. It's never really going to amount to anything, but you also have to have a sense of what does, what's that? Like, what do you want it to amount to? Right. Yeah. And hard That's to a discussion I've had with friends and relatives frequently. They'll ask you that. Right. I mean, if you're an artist, you're an artist, you're 100% committed to it. But isn't that the quintessential theoretical, you know, angst of the artist of this is why am I doing this if I'm not hitting? Yeah, well, to me, it's kind of the opposite. Like, I, I don't really, I'm totally, I would be happy in a basement painting 
like kind of all day. Yes. And, and, <laughs> um, maybe people see it. Maybe they they don't. You know, I mean, I show work because, um, you know, to me, it it's something that pushes the work. And I think you have in terms of the development. I mean, it's not that I want. I mean, to me, like openings are kind of the the scariest thing because I have to go and it's like, you know, I don't really like having that sort of folk. I mean, artists make art usually because they're introverted, right? And the, the art's kind of the thing that's speaking for themselves. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of artists, certainly there are plenty of artists who want attention, right? But, but for me, it's just, it's never been a question that like, I love to make the work and I'm totally fascinated by the process, by... Mm-hmm know um just the the element of surprise i mean yeah that's why work i'm always trying you know i always have this thing where i want to try something kind of new i mean i think my work is there's some consistency but it's also kind of wildly inconsistent but it's because (laughs) i don't want to i don't want to predict what it's going to be it's not much um satisfaction in that for me so um yeah i think that um yeah i yeah (laughs) (laughs) I lost my train in there, but that's all right. It leads right into A for art. Hey, I want to thank you for joining me here on the Artist Appeals podcast, where I, your host, Aaron Sparler, interview every creative that I can get my grimy little hands on. And I ask all of them the question How do you make money as an artist? We want to know. Aspiring minds want to know. That is the big elephant in the room, is it not? How do you make money as an artist? And to that effect, I'm very happy to announce that I have a new book. So check it out. You can go to How to Make Money as an Artist or How to Make Money with Your Art.com and you can check out the new book. The Artist Appeals. I've combed through all the transcripts from season one and two and pulled out the best quotes, the best stories. I've even included some not twos and uh, compiled them all in a gorgeous book. It's taken years to come together. It's gloriously illustrated with graphics and photographs and examples and all sorts of good stuff. It's really accessible, really, really readable and uh written in plain English. So please join me at how to make money with your art.com and get your copy of the new book, the artist appeals.com. So I always try and organize these with this acronym, the appeal system, right? The, the appeals acronym stands for art mm-hmm. product presentation, educating your audience with story or however, how do you educate your audience mm-hmm. amplifying getting bigger, licensing and contract terms in plain English, and success. How do you measure and define success? So you create artwork and your artwork's a little bit abstract, kind of, wouldn't you say? How would you describe your art and how did you find your niche or style? Like, how has it developed? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think to to take it back to sort of you know, the, the beginning or lowest common denominator, it's, I've always been fascinated uh, by that line, uh, that line between abstraction and representation, right? So for me, it's, um, I've always 
thought about kind of, okay, maybe I'm a little bit more on the representational side. Maybe I'm a little bit more on the abstract side, but also that idea of just the definition of what's representational, what's abstract. I mean, over the years, it's been great to talk to certain artists whose work might seem totally abstract, non-objective, non-representational. And they, you know, yet when you talk to them, they say, oh no, this, this work is, it's not abstract. It's representational. Right? So it's, you know, it's like, and then they tell you why and they tell you kind of how. And, um, and so, you know, I kind of go back and forth and, and in the last, you know, I think going back about 10 years or so now, I decided to go, you know, I wanted my, my work went completely abstract, right? I wanted it mm -hmm. to be totally uh, non-representational, not even having references because, because for years I was kind of, you know, the computer's an important part of my process uh you know it was early on for a long time because i would kind of work up images and ideas on the computer okay digital kind of mock-ups collages photoshop um, yeah photoshop and um and that's always been an important part of my process and it's it's you know for a while it's hard to see the line between like you know is this piece kind of uh, is it a study or is it uh, an end in and of itself like is this a finished work right so i grappled with that so i felt like for a few years, I just wanted to get away from using, really using the, the computer in, in, as part of the painting process. And I was making paintings that were just purely um, really about the, the painting process and about mm -hmm. letting the painting develop organically, uh, very kind of reactionary uh, and things like that. And, uh, and that allowed me to figure out my relationship with the computer and going, you know, and I eventually kind of went back to it, went back to Photoshop. And um, again, that's become part of my process. So the work's become more representational. After a while, I felt like this sort of non-objective work was becoming too, it, it didn't have enough in it for me, I guess, right? In terms of what I wanted, maybe the the audience to, to grapple with and the kind of tension I wanted to create. What do you want the audience to grapple with? What are some of your themes and reoccurring symbols that show up throughout your work? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of my work has to do with how we, uh, honestly, how we, how we're fed and perceive information on a daily basis. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I'm of the generation. <laughs> yeah. And here we are on a podcast feeding yeah. you information. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, I mean, since I was, I think in college, I started to get into this idea of how, you know, the, the media, um, you know, it shapes sort of the, the narrative and, and uh, how what we consume, you know, as, as sort of visual consumers and consumers of information, uh, you know, you have to really be um, attuned and, and kind of aware of, of where things are coming from, right? Yeah. It goes back to some things um, that... Um, well, especially as a professor, do you find yourself all the time being like, no, that's not a valid source. You can't use Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, it's become a big thing with actually teaching. Uh, yeah, I mean, the great example of that is something like Instagram, right? And, you know, I, I mean, no, Instagram, I think, is very, is very interesting in many ways. And uh, it's well, great. It's a for marketing platform. It's a fantastic yeah. marketing platform, but it is not a primary source. It's not authoritative. It's And so the thing I run up against is like when I have students do artist copies, for example, right? It's this idea of like the, you know, you, you want to do an artist copy and kind of find that primary source of a certain style or genre, right? So wait, it's wait. like, what is an artist copy? Define that for us real quick. 
the artist copy just um you know you would copy a, a painting from another artist so you might copy you know Cezanne's bathers or um you know uh, something along those lines so trying to make it as perfect as you can right right <laughs> And, and what do you learn from that? What is the purpose of that? Well, you know, uh, you're learning everything from, uh, you know, uh, composition, color, paint application, technique, uh, and, and process, right? Because it's about deconstructing that work and trying to get a sense of, you know, if this is where the painting arrived, how did it start, right? Kind of breaking mm. layers and saying, did the artist start with a, with a colored ground? Did the artist start with a sketch? I mean, it's great to, there's a great Matisse exhibition at MoMA a few years back where they had uh, x-rayed a lot of the paintings and you could see the underpaintings Ooh. where he moved an arm. You could see where he had a plant and took it out, right? So this idea of like, you know, students sometimes think like, you know, it's, it's debunking that genius theory in many ways that the artist has had like a grand vision and, and painted it, right? It's right. no. You put these things down, it becomes this kind of chess match. You have to take something out. You have to change your color. You have to, you know, so that's the, that's the artist copy thing. But what's happened with like, you know, it used to be like, go to the library, find three books on, on artists that you're interested in. And it's a chance to look through artists, become more familiar. And then you're going to do a copy from one of those artists. And in, you know, recent years, the last decade, really, it's saying, you know, you can't use Instagram, you can't use the internet. And lo and behold, students. You know, most students maybe get a book from the library, um, but you know, students aren't as familiar with going to the library. It's not something that they, um, you know, is as easy for them to do anymore, right? And and because it's so easy to just the first thing, even if I say go to the library, the first thing they do is go onto Instagram and start to look at artists, right? And then they go to the library and they find, well, these artists aren't in the library, so then they say, but I want to do this painting, right? And so then they bring okay. in a painting that looks like kind of like a. Uh, a fake Van Gogh or a fake Demon Corner. And, and that's this idea that like, okay, that's, that's great. Like if that is a painting that has maybe evolved to a certain point, but it's kind of, it's kind of just derivative of like another artist. So you should just do the copy from that artist. Right. And right, really right. learn from the source. So anyhow, uh, it's hard to escape. Yeah. The, but anyhow, going back to my work in the internet, you know, I, I, <laughs> It kind of came of age with the internet and this idea like early on the internet was just this kind of you know wild west of um a lot of randomness i guess you'd say right there was some <laughs> i remember it i remember it well right? some was interesting some was totally random some was shocking somewhat you know but it wasn't horribly useful right always it was kind of a curiosity and so um, free toby Sorry. <laughs> totally <laughs> random reference so I think that, you know, in the end, like, yeah, my, you know, I started to really become aware of like, um, you know, where, you know, where information comes from, but how it shapes us. Right. And I think that in a, you know, and even like, like something like television, right. Like how does like advertising, how does like watching these kind of things over and over um, shape the way that we perceive and, and understand and see the world. And, and this idea that maybe we're not always being, you know, people aren't always being as critical, uh, just kind of taking things at face value. So my work plays, you know, recent work kind of deals with, uh, grapples with some of that stuff. And it's not, you know, it's not like I want people to look at it and just say like, you know, I'm not trying to like teach a lesson necessarily. It's right. more than like, that's the, that's the starting, the jumping off point. Yeah. Let's work. talk about it. Let's have a dialogue about it. And that actually is a great question for 
P for product. So let's talk about your process. I love to get into the process a little bit with um, some of our artists, particularly painters. So you're using Photoshop and digital to inform your painting, which in and of itself is kind of a new modern thing, right? Um, artists used to use sketches and studies out in the field and then come back to the studio and perfect that work. But now you're using, you're referencing um, media and how media gives us information and the internet. How are, what is your process um, for creating your work? So my process. Um, give us a blow by blow. Give us a step by yeah, step. Yeah, give me a blow by blow. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's. I try to think of my process as being, for one thing, not you know, totally in the box. I guess is one thing I'll, I'll preface this with, and and fairly expansive. And I'm always looking for those relationships between mediums. So I don't want it to be linear. It's, I'd say it's a very non-linear process where things you know, digital might feed into a drawing, might feed into a print, might feed into a painting. Maybe the paint, an idea in the painting goes back to digital. I mean, I'll take something, I'll take a painting that I've started and I'll take a picture of that. And sometimes, and, and then put, if I'm struggling with something or or just curiosity, what happens if I change a color? What happens if I put this thing over here? Oh, Um, so you'll actually take a painting, put it in the computer and manipulate it in Photoshop. So you're going backwards. Then do you print it out and paint on top of it again? Or uh, I'll, yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll sometimes I print, sometimes I just have the iPad there and, uh, you know, and I just kind of like look sometimes I sometimes I just try to work from memory. I mean, it's always like trying not to fall into too much of a of a rut of doing the same. I never really want to approach it the same way. I mean, if I think it's working the same way, then I will. But I find like, if, I, if I'm in a place where it's kind of uh, not going in an inter- interesting direction um, or I'm not really challenging myself, then I'll mix it up where do you get your source images what do you start with as reference do you just um use intuition and memory or do you take your own photographs do you go to museums where do you get your um inspiration and source imagery it's a good it's a great question it's it's very wide ranging uh and and very open i'm, I'm a real sort of collector of images and kind of an image junkie and and really I'm really fascinated by, um, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm into like aesthetic languages and how we, as part of also what I do, I'm talking about consuming information, how the aesthetic of something before we even get into what the content or the subject is, how that relates something, right. And how we perceive that. So for example, if we look at, um, like a photograph from the 1970s, right. It's going to kind of trigger and tell us something about the time, right. If we look at something that's very graphic, we're going to perceive that in a way that's different than if it's naturalistic. Right. So, uh, I really try to mine images, uh, you know, I mean, the internet's a (laughs) treasure trove of random craziness. Right. So yeah. do you take screen captures? Yeah. I mean, I'll, yeah. I mean, whatever it takes, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it off the, you know, the, you know, the site or I'll do a screen capture and I just keep folders of things, but then I'm also a collector of old, you know, I've I've hundreds and hundreds of old random books, magazines. uh, Yeah. Pictures. I I don't, I mean, I, I get it. I go through phases of taking my own, you know, photos. Sometimes it's like, I forget about the camera for a while. And then I find, I see something, and like wow like I need you know this would be a great painting and sometimes right. you just 
you stumble across something and it's like, that's like a painting waiting to happen. Right. And so, yeah. so it's all, it's, it's really all of these things. And I, and I love the idea of like how it all aggregates, right. Because, you know, you comes have things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It comes together. Some things happen in the moment. Some things are like, you know, it might be a random image from popular science in 1952, right. That then is being right. like inserted into like a uh, landscape that I saw yesterday. So do you put it all up on a, uh, like a wall, you tape it to a wall or in a billboard or a cork board, you stick it all up. Or you said you use Photoshop sometimes too. Do you composite it there? Yeah, I usually, uh, recently what I've really actually loved to do um, in terms of, uh, you know, working up images is using a version of Photoshop on the iPad, which I'm scared. I think they're discontinuing it. It's, I think it's called Photoshop cut or I forget the name. Anyhow, it's this kind of limited version of Photoshop that's meant for um, just kind of cutting and pasting, but it's really, it's really rudimentary. Like it doesn't do, like you can't do a lot of things in it. And I've actually- Sometimes simple is best, right? Yeah. I really got into the limitations of it. And so I would like, it'd be a great way to like, just sometimes sit around with the iPad and feel like I could be any place, which is cool to kind of change your location. If you're really sitting like in the desk and the computer in the same place, you're in the same mindset. So the iPad allowed me to like, be like, Hey, what happens if I'm like here, you know, outside, like working on something. And, and I just start, you know, scrolling through these banks of images or folders of images and seeing things that kind of speak to me, you know, thinking like, Hey, this might be an interesting atmosphere kind of stage for, mm-hmm. uh, for something. And like, you know, what can I insert into that? And, and what kind of narrative starts to form? Like, Oh, like, look at this, like, you know, ridiculous thing from an advertisement. I can't believe it. <laughs> would like you know like latch on to that or you know so like let's kind of like get a little commentary going with something like that right and and then you know yeah I start to and I, I've tried I felt like part of my downfall earlier like 10 you know years ago with Photoshop was I was spending too much time on these digital pieces and that was fine if I wanted it to be an end right but as a right. painting study wanted something that still had some potential and some openness. I, I still needed problems to solve. And I was getting into this thing where I was just, I was getting too precious with the initial study and I was trying to copy. Yeah. It. Yeah. Right? I find that I, I found that when I was teaching is students would get attached to their digital files more so yeah. than their sketches, right. maybe because it took so much more effort. I don't know. Um, so how do you present this work? If you're having this commentary about media and our relationship to advertising and, and, and information overload and so forth and so on, and you're working between Photoshop and painting. And so the physical and the digital that brings up a conundrum in presentation, doesn't it? So what, how do you present your work? Uh, I mean, you know, it, I guess it depends on the nature of, of the exhibition. I mean, honestly, the a lot of the digital work, it doesn't really see the light of day in terms of uh, something that I that I exhibit. or, or You don't post show. to Instagram every day? <laughs> I don't post to Instagram. <laughs> I, I mean, I've I've tried it. Friends always say, like, why aren't you doing like people would love to see, you know, this or that. And and I'll do it like. You know, I mean, I think last year I went on and like one day I just put on like 30 things and I was like, all right, that's probably good for the year. right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I once it. did three years of posting to Instagram every day sh- for straight for three years. But and that was an amazing experience because it made the work 
well, you'll have to look at it, but it's Aaron dot circles. And I started out with the idea that I was only allowed to draw a circle, like an Enso. And then, so the first year it was only circles, only shape allowed. Um, And then the second year I allowed line to come in. And then the third year it became, it was still circle and line, but yeah. And it was a fascinating process because that accountability of having to present something even though it was just Instagram every single day, it made the work change because even when I didn't feel like drawing a circle, you know, I gave myself permission to just draw a simple circle and you know, Neil Gaiman, right. Famous, famous author or whatever. I find it interesting. One of his interviews with um, Tim Ferriss, he talks about giving your self permission to just do the simplest things. Like he's like, I must create every single day but I give myself permission to just sit there and doodle on the paper if nothing's coming to me. Totally. Um, it's about about yeah. the act, right? It's about letting yourself get into it and not always, you know, taking that pressure off. I think that's that. Yeah. What you did sounds fantastic, right? Having Thanks. that, having this sort of limitation. Did you get something, I mean, out of that in the end, you feel like that's pushed you to a different place? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. It created a whole different style for me, for my mm-hmm. bigger works. I started at the end doing these um, circle paintings, almost like uh, almost like uh, pointillism or impressionism, where you're allowing the mark to be seen, but the mark itself was a circle. So the basis for the artwork became the circles. The yep. under the underpainting became the circles, and then um, the top layer became detail work. Um, which is the way of working. So it was fascinating. And I did end up um, licensing that work, a a number of those pieces with my art agent, and they're available on some of the big platforms now for the wall and uh, home decor vertical. So anyways, talking about presentations. So you've been in the fine art galleries in New York City and stuff like that. And um, you're also a professor at a very awesome school. Uh, what tips or tricks would you tell people about presenting? Particularly uh, maybe for the fine art world. Yeah, I mean, uh, tips and tricks for, I mean. Rules? Rules. Um, well, okay, I'll give you an example. Yeah, I had yeah. a piece of work that I did that was a social commentary. It was kind of a satirical piece about selfies. Yes. Okay. And I made the whole thing. It was a process piece. So it was kind of cartoon like, and I made right. it in the phone. And yeah. it got into a uh, show in New York about um, feminist identity. Right. How do we identify as a woman? And as part of the ser- satirical nature of the piece, I had it framed like this kind of Baroque, <laughs> um, you know, r- black flame frame, very floral, a lot of detail work in the wood with little gold trim and double mat and stuff like that. Well, when I sent it to them, they wrote back and they said, it doesn't go with the show. We won't hang it. <laughs> really? Jeez. Because New York and a lot of these galleries are really into that very minimalist classic framing. They want, you know, white matte, simple black metal frame or simple black wood frame. But they hadn't specified that. And the piece itself was satirical. So, you know, why shouldn't the frame be part of the message? The frame is part of the piece, no matter what, right? 
Right. So how do you frame your pieces? Do you paint around the edges and not frame them? Do you use this more uh, modern aesthetic of simple framing? Like, what do you do for your pieces? I don't frame. Yeah, I don't frame paintings. Um, I'll frame and I'm actually I mean, for me, I just uh, because I do think the frame becomes part of the work. Right. And so, um, you know, I've seen paint. I mean, I was at the Met last week and there was a painting. Uh, There's this, um, uh, you know, it's like a 15th century, um, you know, Italian painting. And and it had this beautiful frame. Right. And, and it was just so it had this incredible dialogue with the the portrait, you know, itself. And it just, you know, it transformed that piece that you can't at that point just see it as like a painting, right? You're mm-hmm. seeing this. It's, it's now becomes this object, right? And I don't right. want me, I don't want my paintings to be seen as um, anything really beyond the, the painting, right? The surface. And, and actually, and I'm not against framing, certainly my, I did an, I did an exhibition last year, uh, or maybe right before the pandemic, uh, I've been working on collaborative paintings with a good friend of mine and we did an exhibition of them in New York and Ooh, fun. Uh, it was really fun. And we had, it was just like, we had made over like a few years, like 50 or maybe 60 ish paintings. And we decided we wanted the exhibition to be all of the paintings because we felt it was about this big conversation between these, these works. And, um, we decided to, to, because there was a lot of disparity in the work, we decided to frame them as a way to kind of unite the group, right? And so I think in that sense, and they're just very simple uh, kind of wood strip frames. Um, That's a great know. way to hold a, a show together. Yeah, and it, it was really interesting for me because I, you know, for so long I hadn't framed. I mean, I like the, you know, thinking about this idea of the painting as something that's on a support. It, it sort of has a relationship to the wall, but it protrudes from it. I mean. I lo- I'm always interested in like the edges of the painting, like how paint kind of spills over and maybe is kind of splattered and, um, you know, and- beautiful. The edges are gorgeous. Right? Yeah. The beauty is in the edge. <laughs> it gives you the sense of the dimensionality of the work. I mean, I, I don't think it always works because it, it can impede, I think, on the I also love this idea of the the actual edge of the of the work. Right. So, you know, how something comes up to the edge uh, an element, you know, in the, in the, in the painting and, in you know, the side of the painting can sometimes distract from that. So depending on if I think the side kind of works, maybe it's like this evidence of the process and it, and it sort of just speaks to like what's on the actual surface and, and kind of extends the painting a little bit more Then I think that's great. Uh, if it gets too busy, sometimes I'll just paint the edges white or if a gallery is like really intent on the whole thing of like the edges have to be clean, which to me is just like, it has nothing to do with anything. If they're not seeing the actual work, then, you know, I might give in and, and do that. But um, yeah, but, I, and, and then, you know, with works on paper, I'll, I'll frame those in simple metal frames. But I think the, your, your point about presentation is, is an important one. It's something we work with uh, students on all the time is that the exhibition becomes its own thing, right? right. You make work and the exhibition then takes the work a step further, it transforms the work. So what are the considerations with an exhibition and that idea of presentation? And, and we get students, we try to challenge that. Like students just think like, well, I should, 
I should frame it, hang it on a wall, and I'm done with it. It's presented. If it's in a frame, it must be good, right? And it's like, well, it has to be in in the right frame. It has to be in a frame that uh, is is actually you know working to elevate the work. And sometimes maybe the frame's not right. Maybe you should just use thumbtacks and and show the torn edge because that edge is creating a tension um, there. And so we really try to deckling. I yeah. love deckled paper, that ripped edge paper, especially like um, watercolor paper or that thicker real texture paper. And yeah, then you could use like a um, floating frame, although yeah. those always scare me because the whole point of the frame is to get the uh, is to protect the piece. And if the piece is up against the glass, then you're right. actually trying it. But, you know, this also applies in product design and development is you've got to present the work. You've got to, if you've turned your artwork into a product, you have to present it. And and in the end, artwork is somewhat of a product, even when we're making art just for ourselves. It's still a product of our imagination, of our human experience. It's a product of us. So, talking about that let's talk about education so we've done art product presentation let's talk about educating your audience but now of course you're a professor so you're educating students and artists every day but communication with the um collector and with the gallery and telling stories around your work this is a theme that i'm you know, finding in these podcasts, the point of the podcast is to find these commonalities, these common themes between arts, the thread that, you know, holds us all together, regardless of our substrate or medium or style or whatever. So how do you educate your audience? How do do you find that it's best to um, tell the story of your work? You mean in the actual work or how do I explain my work verbally verbally or through writing yes how do you yes verbally and through writing like how do you communicate what you're trying to achieve um obviously since you're fine artist you probably do an artist statement right i will when i when i think it's appropriate (laughs) (laughs) right do you also do any sort of you know when you go to a museum, they have these lovely little plaques on the side with the write up of the piece. I love those. I love reading them. My yeah. family it drives them nuts. They're like, you don't have to read every single one. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. I yes, I have to. Um, but what advice would you give to your students or artists or creatives about sharing the story of your work? What are some of the ways that you like to use to educate your audience? It's a great question. I mean, I'm always happy to, to, you know, I'm someone who I believe in, you know, in what art is, uh, art is art, right? So the idea that it's communicating something is going to communicate something different to, to everyone, right? And some people are very curious to know exactly what what the artist's intention is right? and, and why are you doing it what is it what's in there there must be something this must you must know exactly what this is and uh yeah i don't i don't always know exactly what it is right and and to me that's what makes it interesting and i'm fine with it i have to have i and i always tell how students, do you communicate that though so well, i mean I, you don't have to literally describe a piece when you're communicating I, or educating your audience you don't have to be like oh this is a painting of a duck Right. But, you know, 
you have some very deep concepts in your work. How do you share that without um, uh, instilling your own preconceived notions on the viewer? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's uh, the the artist statement is a really tricky thing. Right. And so, I mean, I'm usually doing it through some sort of, um, you know, statement. I mean, I usually, you know, have something that's written about a specific series, for example. Right. And, mm-hmm. and right. You know, crafting something where the language hits the right note and it doesn't sound too lofty and BS. I mean, students like you know, this is a thing like we senior year, we spend like an entire year trying to get to like a, a good paragraph about your work. Right. Because because an artist statement, yeah, you don't want it to go on and on and on. I mean, at least mm-hmm. I don't. Right. You want to get to the point, but you want it to sound, you know, you don't want it to be kind of overloaded with art speak or things that just sound BS. I mean, I want things that are hopefully generally, you know, that will appeal to a range of audiences. So people who are really familiar with art, people who might be less familiar with art. Um, and, you know, I, I try to be fairly, hopefully somewhat straightforward and uh, kind of down to earth, I guess, about, uh, you know, kind of honest about what I'm doing with the work where, yeah, even though there are, to, to me, there are things in the work that are coming from very specific places. Right. But I always tell students, like, I mean, I think part of it is like, do you want a work of art in the end to be sealed, like hermetically sealed in to this way where like nothing can be read into it? I always tell students like, I don't mind the painting, like almost falling or work of art falling a little bit short, maybe, or, or uh-huh. you know, we might just call that openness, right? But this idea that everything has to be perfect in the end, right? I still want, to me, that, that space is about the viewer, that those things that you don't uh, totally complete, right? Or, or totally finish, that's for the viewer to kind of insert themselves. And so to me, it's this kind of rapport and maybe a, a you know, a conversation that the work has with the viewer to, and with my, and for myself, right? Like I look at, you know, I look, I might look at a painting from four years ago and go like, yeah. oh, I, I kind of, I kind of see what was, I was trying to do there, what the, like I thought the narrative was, I was not really clear on it. And then suddenly it comes through, right? Like right. I'm not looking for things to be totally figured out by the time I put them out there. And I'm happy putting them out there like that. I mean, I don't mind something you know, I don't mind taking that risk. I know there are a lot of artists who, you know, some artists say, don't ever show something if you're not sure. And how are you sure? I don't, I don't know. I don't, like, I, I, it would take so, me 10 so years. Maybe showing it is part of the conversation. So you feel like the, the work grows. And so maybe you write about it and then show it. And then both the writing and the work evolves together. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that, I mean, ideally, I think, you know, writing throughout the process of making is really important, right? Oh, so do you journal? I mean, I don't know if I'd call it journaling, but I'll write about, you know, I'll try to sit down and sometimes it's just words. Sometimes it's just trying to write a few paragraphs about what I, you know, like, let's say, the show is tomorrow. Like what's this work going to do? Because I think that, you know, that whenever you, it's a different thought process. Right. And, and when you start to, you know, and you slow down and you take, it's a different, uh, just a different way of thinking about the work. And I think that timing and pacing of the work is so important. I've always had a problem of just like wanting to plow through things to like really quickly, you know, I mean, I could probably series of paintings in a week if someone told me I had to. Right. Right. 
Uh, but would they be good? I don't, maybe they'd be better than the ones I take, you know, I mean that I'm really, you know, I think that's a, one of the biggest challenges about making work is that for me, the way I work, it's, it's, you know, how much, you know, so I try to like step back from the work and, and give it a little time to breathe and, and, and not just kind of kill it, not just feel like, right. Oh, I have right. to do something. I think it's really interesting. So you do write about the work a little bit as you're creating it. And then do you revisit those notes for that artist statement? Yeah, I'll, I'll revisit those notes. And uh, I'd say like nine times out of 10, I'm, I'm kind of like mortified at what I wrote initially. <laughs> and, and uh, but sometimes there's one really like good, there's like one sentence, right? right. And that's right. like, I try to, you know, with, I just try to get students to, to free write and to kind of, it's like, you're not going to get to the point of the work uh, writing trying to just write like one paragraph or, or a few sentences like you need to write like probably like two or three pages or more and like in that like you know after like an hour or half an hour an hour like you're going to get a sentence that's going to like finally kind of right. get it right you know? have you heard of uh, morning pages by um i think her name was julie cameron she wrote oh. the artist's way the artist way is a pretty famous book for creativity and she encourages uh morning morning pages she calls them and she says you should write three pages of longhand uh cursive every morning to try and to have this clarity for the rest of the day yeah i think that's really neat i do i write a little bit on the backs of my pieces sometimes oh nice you know, a little bit of the thought, uh, what medium I'm using, how the paint flows, what mm -hmm. inspired the work. You never yeah. know, you know, and that's nice to come back to. And for some people, that's more interesting than anything else. Hi there, and I just want to take a quick second to thank you for listening to the podcast. I did this podcast just randomly and for free and out of the blue because I had the question, how do you make money with your art? I wanted to know. I was teaching college for 12 years and then I started my own business and I think it's a question that we don't answer and we don't ask. It's the big elephant in the room. How do you make money as an artist? So I have taken all of these interviews over five seasons, all these amazing creatives, and I've compiled a book. That's right. There is now a book, The Artist Appeals, How to Make Money as an Artist in Seven Steps. So if you would like a gorgeously illustrated book with all of the best tips, tricks, quotes, stories, even some um, processes for how to create commissioned artwork, and even some stories of what not to do, mistakes that I have made and you don't want to make in your career, then please join me at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com and get your copy of the new book, The Artist Appeals, how to make money as an artist in seven steps. So just visit howtomakemoneywithyourart.com and get your copy today. Thanks a lot. So, all right, art, product, presentation, educating with story or writing and 
amplifying, oh, here's the hard one. Well, maybe not the hard one, but how do you get bigger? This is like the money question. How do you amplify? How do you get out there and increase your reach? And you're a professor and you're a fine artist. So this takes a little bit of a different form, maybe. What would be the one thing you say that has really worked for you to get the message about your artwork out there? How do you do it all or get the word out there without getting overwhelmed? Uh, well, I mean, there's an, there's an ebb and flow, I think to that as a, as a, you know, I mean, I consider myself a teaching artist and that's, that's a focus, you yeah. know, for me. Yes, to come. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, so, you know, during the school year, uh, you know, I'm 100% in on teaching and, uh, and I'm always making because my teaching is better when I'm active in the studio. And I right. learned so much the best thing about teaching is I learned so much from the students. You know, I mean, I think the best thing about teaching is that it puts you're allowed to on a daily basis, see that like initial kind of thing that you were attracted to in terms of wanting to be an artist and that kind of um, yeah. just that, like that very kind of fresh energy and curiosity and that's the thing that I think is the worst thing to, to lose as you go forward, right? Like, right. and to be reminded of that every day to like those things that just those simple things of like loving a medium, maybe you're being fascinated by, um, you know, a, a shape or a form or a relationship between forms is like, yeah. you know, it's very grounding. And, um, and so I find a lot of inspiration to work during the semester because, you know, as I'm teaching, it's like so many, you know, usually when I'm teaching, I start saying things to students that are like solving They're they're coming from this place of like the problems that I'm grappling with, but I'm not even aware of. And I say, (laughs) they solve your problems for you. When you're supposed to be solving their problems, they solve yours. I I get it. I get it. I used to teach and it's amazing that moment when they have that light bulb, isn't it? It's, it's the best thing about teaching when you see them like something like all of a sudden clicks right like I think mm-hmm. intro drawing is a great example where you get a lot of students who come in and say especially at a liberal arts college like Dickinson uh students maybe haven't had uh an art class before uh, or it's not going to be a focus but they want to do it and they say I'm really scared I've never taken a class in in art I, I don't you know I don't know how to draw and I don't think I can draw and to, to teach drawing in this way, you know, to kind of tell them it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a language, right? You're going to learn the different components uh, and we're going to kind of put this together. And like around mid-semester, things start to click and you just see that they're like, they kind of, they're in disbelief, you know, we'll like we'll critique a homework drawing and they'll say, like, I, I can't believe that I did this, right? And that's the best thing you can ever hear as, a, as an instructor, right? That that suddenly like someone like did something that they are super psyched about and never thought they were capable of. So, yeah. So I think that, um, you know, that's, that's a huge thing for me, but um, what was it? What, what question were we talking about? <laughs> we're talking. <laughs> ah, true artist conversation, rambling and fun and covering yeah. so many topics. So we were talking about amplifying, but it sounds like the students amplify you, the students amplify your work. Um, yeah. You know, one of the themes I hear over and over again from guests is that just networking, getting out there, showing the work, networking, um, like you said, the students keep you fresh and and amplify your work. Um, So we were talking about how do you get bigger? What do you find is the most successful thing for um, growing, amplifying your outreach? 
and like you just said, getting your work to to interesting, getting your work to places, you know, getting it to uh, some place well, where you let's think. Let's get specific here. How did you get into galleries in New York? Um, you know, it's that's a like a great mystery of the of the art world, right? Right, and that's why I ask I mean, it. Yeah. Is I'm sure a lot yeah. of people watching are like, how do I get into a gallery in New yeah. York? I wish I had. I wish I had really solid advice on that, but I. <laughs> You know, I always tell, but I tell students this, it's about, um, you know, if you have a, you know, you have to kind of identify goals and say like, well, where, where do I want to get, where, where do I want to be? And then you start to think, how do I, you know, how am I going to get there? And like anything, it's not like you can necessarily go and just knock on their door and say, you know, Hey, like show my work, you know, it's, no, you it's, can't, that's what I do. <laughs> no, about, I think you hit the meat of it there, right there uh, two seconds ago. So let me just repeat it. It's about setting a goal and figuring out how you're going to get there. I think that was fantastic advice because when you actually write down a goal and then you backtrack from that goal, okay, I want to be in a gallery in New York. Okay. How do I get there? Um, well, I create a body of work. I research a gallery that I think would like the work. I find out who the, uh, curator is. Right. I find their email. I send them an email. I follow up, blah, blah, blah. You can backtrack from uh, that goal. And that's in a lot of cases, you know, I always say the next part of that is sort of is, and I tell students is positioning yourself, right? Like, ah, what does that term mean? It's not, positioning. like I just said, it's not a, there's not always a direct path. So it's just, it's like, it's like, you know, making art, it's kind of like a general to specific or broad, you know, so, okay. And you mentioned it a second ago, you know, like maybe there's a curator who is at a gallery uh, or a gallerist, right. Who's curating an exhibition. And, and so that's an opportunity for you to get, you know, get noticed maybe, right. Like getting your work to places where then it's going to be seen and it's going to lead to, you know, getting your work out there is going to lead to opportunities. And I always tell students this right off the bat. They say, well, someone wants to, someone wants this peace of mind. And, uh, you know, they said they only have this much money and I feel like it's worth a little bit more. And I say, listen, it's up to you in the end what you're going to sell that for. But uh, there's a lot of value in getting your work out into the world, right? Especially when you're young, because if it's, getting out there, then someone else is going to see it and they're going to say, who's that? And, um, you know, it's going to start to kind of uh, propagate, right? So yeah. uh, there's, you know, that positioning to me is very, I think that's that's a key, right? You know, getting, yeah. getting your work to places where you think it's going to then maybe get, open up other opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Do you say, tell your students much about signatures? Do you ever talk about the artist's signature? Uh, in what, in what way? Oh, in, in amplifying, it was interesting. Maria Brophy was on the show. Uh, she's the wife and agent of Drew Brophy, who's a surfboard artist. So he does that really, he's actually kind of one of the founders of that really, uh, well, surfboard style art, you know, like bright neon colors, kind of caricatures, marijuana leaves, you know, skulls, surfing tubes, you know, very kind of, uh, late 60s early 70s like graphical surfer art anyways she was talking about how when he started even when he was very in the beginning of his early stages he always signed his surfboards even when he was painting them for a company and that that has helped to really amplify his um 
his reputation over the years and that people will still contact them today and say, I bought this surfboard. Is this an original Drew Brophy surfboard? Because he is painting, he would paint surfboards. He still does. Um, And, and so she would say, is it signed? Because he always signed his work and, you know, this is what his signature has always looked like. And Mm -hmm. so this is how you can tell if it's an original or or not. Um, She said, you know, her advice was always, always, always sign your work and make it legible if you can, because later on down the road, somebody might seek you out from that signature. And that's come up in a couple other uh, episodes where artists have said, I signed this work. It wasn't that legible, but somebody did the research and found me from looking yeah. up my signature. Sure. No, it's important to obviously, I mean, you, you want to, you know, I mean, it's my frustration in grading, like put your name on your work, put your name, <laughs> who belong is this? I don't, you know, I don't, I can't grade if I don't know who oh. belongs here. Right. So, Oh, yeah. I have had that experience yeah. right. so, so many times. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, we talk, I mean, yeah. I mean, making sure that, you know, Dayton's, I mean, I love the back of the, I think the back of a painting or a drawing is becomes its own. Actually, there's an artist who did a great, um, series of work. Um, I think it was Arturo. Was it Arturo Herrera? Uh, no, yeah, maybe. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> it was about the it was about the backs of paintings and how they show this this uh, you know kind of famous paintings and they show this sort of like life of the work, right? Because as they go to galleries around the world, they you know they get stamped, uh, you know, and and. Oh. Uh, different collectors like sort of stamps or uh you know well, Asian work collectors stamp on the front right stamp on the front that's yeah exactly identifying um and and so you know I love that idea that the back you know you start as the artist and you put something on there maybe other things get added to it so I mean we talk a little bit about that we don't we haven't I mean when we talk about the idea of like you know students are always curious about like the merits of signing your work on the on the front versus the back and to me that conversation goes towards framing where I mean it's up to you know you have to kind of consider the signature as part of the the piece right at that point Mm -hmm. so is it distracting from the work or is it, you know, is your name really big or you get, maybe you're going to play it up. Maybe that's like a style, like part of your like branding or something. Right. Yeah. But, but to know that it's not just as simple as like, I'm going to kind of slap my name on there and not think about it, you know? Right. You know, my grandmother always gave me a real hard time about that. Todd, why don't you sign your paintings on the front? That's what artists do. <laughs> you know? it's like, well, Nana, you know, I, it's, it's, Oh, like, you called her Nana. And I sign, you know, I, well, that's what we call my back and, and, you know, that's, I don't, for me, I don't want to be, you know, hung up on the, yeah. on my name. Yeah. But it, everyone's different. Some artists that's, that's, you know, and um, it's, it's just, but it's being conscious of that decision. That's. You know. Yes. When I was in college, I had a friend, I didn't sign my work and she gave me a hard time and said, why aren't you signing your work? I want you to sign it, sign it, sign it for me. You know, she collected a piece of mine, sign it. And and, you know, and at the time I remember thinking, oh, I'm not good enough yet, right, but, right. but you have to sign it because someday you just have to. And I've had another artist talk about how the back is free real estate and he uses it for promotional things. So the back becomes a great place for him to put his write up of the story. And this is a photographer, but he mm-hmm. always tells a story about his um, photographs. Jeffrey Stoner, he was on the show and, you know, his most popular work is these amazing photographs of goats. Um right. 
and he tells the whole story of these funny goats that just make you smile on the back. And that's one of the reasons people collect them is that story on the back. So yeah, yeah, amplifying, I think just telling your story and, and having your signature can be a great. um, Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. The back is like the back can be an extension of the, of the work. Right. I mean, there's uh, you know, Henry Darch or the, the, and the sides. Yeah. (laughs) Both. Yeah, and the sides, yeah. But some <laughs> artists, yeah, would make complete pieces on both sides, right? And then it's like, well, which sides, <laughs> what's the one we look at, right? Oh, I like that idea. Almost thinking of a painting as a three-dimensional sculpture. I mean, a three-dimensional sculpture, you have to consider all sides and presentation, the base, how you're going to display it. So why yeah. don't we consider two-dimensional work like that? Why don't we consider the sides and the back and the, ooh, I like that idea. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. All right. I'm going to patent that idea. (laughs) Oh, do it, do it. I want to see how that works. All right. So L for licensing and contract terms. This scares artists a lot. The idea of having to ask a client for a contract or licensing your work. Have you ever, do you have any standard contracts that you use all the time or any terms that you think are important for people to know? Um, that you want to share with us and define in plain English? Uh, I mean, I usually negotiate those. I mean, those things are usually I work out with, I mean, galleries are usually the ones who come to me with those types of terms and consignment things, or, um, you know, we are, or we are not responsible if your work falls off the wall and, you know, uh, (laughs) yeah, right. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of my own personal but you things. read them, right? Oh, I read through them and I make sure, yeah. I mean, if it's something that is, is uh, you know, where I think the terms aren't, um, you know, aren't good, then, yeah, I mean, I, I try to either renegotiate or, I mean, I try to work through, you know, things whenever possible. I mean, I know the, the legalities of things. And I mean, we use, you know, uh you know, I think the college, sometimes if we have like a visiting artist or something like, you know, there might have to be things like understandings that are, that are reached between the the parties, you know? So, right. uh, but you have to be careful. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is that sort of business that legal side to it. And I've always, the contract I always wanted, and, you know, this, this is like, you know, it's a Your sort dream of thing. contract. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the idea that like, Hey, like I want you to, to like, not, you know, uh, put this work in a basement, like, I, you know, and like, or try to like sell it for a bunch of money that I won't get. And, and you know, <laughs> I'm certainly not at that level. So it'd be a stupid contract to make, I guess. But uh, I think that, you know, I think artists should start making that that contract in terms of uh, speculation on on work. But um, yeah, I yeah, no, I usually just do that stuff with, you know, all the galleries have kind of different, you know, things that they tend to go by. And, but right. yeah, you know, them you have to make sure and yeah you said it's artists are scared by that stuff and and uh i don't you know i think some artists either don't want to kind of deal with that part of it or yeah they find it to be maybe off-putting or intimidating and uh in the end it's you know it's it's not a huge thing i mean you you read it you you make sure you're okay with it and uh if you're yeah you know ask questions if you don't know ask questions i find most things to be pretty you know pretty reasonable and I think there's always a little bit of again like I'm not overly precious with my work there's always a little bit of risk with packing something and putting it and you know shipping it across the country and 
you have to be, you know, art packing is, is another thing that's, uh, you know, is uh, something that's not, uh, you have to be careful with, right? You have to package mm-hmm. things well, you have to package them to survive, uh, uh, you know, UPS or, or FedEx. Uh, uh-huh. you know, what tips do you have on packaging? Where do you get your packaging materials? Uh, I mean, I tend to build my own, um, okay. you know, uh, package uh, packaging. Uh, if it's something, I mean, the thing with packaging in the last few years is that, and just really, you know, I mean, I sent stuff to, I, I was showing with a gallery in Europe for a while in Spain and I, uh, you know, the first exhibition I had. Cool. There, How'd you get in there? Uh, that was through the gallery I was working with in New York for a while had kind of a relationship with them. And so things kind of worked out. And yeah, it was, it was great. It was awesome to be able to, to show in a, in a different, in a country where, where art, I think is, is sort of held to a different sort of cultural standard, like in, in significance, right? Like it was interesting to have an exhibition and for people to just be like, well, you know, like really invested in what was happening. And um, you know, even just at like a very sort of general, like level, I guess, of the, of the population, like an awareness that maybe we don't, it doesn't always happen here. Right. Mm, uh, interesting. Like, like accessibility. And, and so in any case, the first exhibition there, yeah, they, they created the works kind of like fully intact. And, and some of the paintings were, were really huge, like six, six foot paintings, eight wow. foot paintings. And uh, they, you know, they shipped them over on a, on a, on a boat, you know, it took probably a month or so. Um, and the next exhibition I had, they wanted me to roll the paintings up and ship them. And that was pretty scary because it's, it's hard to, and they also didn't want me to, they were going to restretch them on new stretchers in Spain. Right. Uh, and it's really tricky to, to, to restretch a, a painting that's already been made on a stretcher that's not its original. Right. Will, you get all- it, will it crack the paint? Well, if it's usually if it's if the painting's made well, um, you know, that should be okay. And it's and it's packaged and it's rolled properly. The issue is I paint in oil and I tend to use oftentimes a decent amount of paint, and oil takes a long time to dry. So <laughs> I was yeah. worried about the paintings being destroyed. And yeah. at- a little bit of paint, you know, I put plastic over everything. A little bit of paint did come off, but not it didn't ruin anything. Everything was fine. And they Ooh. did a job of restretching, but it's really, it was, it was freaky. And they, the art handler, they didn't really hire art handlers for that one either. They just sent like uh. kind of random New York, like low, low down the totem pole kind of shipping, yeah, kind of sketchy shippers. Ooh. And these guys showed up and they were like, you know, they had no idea what they were picking up. And, and there was no sense of like, this is something that is maybe like kind of fragile. So I packed these things, you know, the, the gallery just said, we'll put them in a tube. And I was like, it, the cardboard tube's not going to, you know, survive this trip. So I built like, yeah. a, you know, I was like, this thing is going on a plane to, you know, across the Atlantic. Uh, I have to, I have to build it to withstand, you know, like a war basically. <laughs> they, they arrived. And I mean, I've never had, you know, I just try to gauge like, okay, how far is it going? Um, and you know, and then you look into things like, you know, making sure something is insured, uh, which is also tricky with art. Sometimes they don't want to do full value, but at least if it is insured, they, you know, they, they're a little more, I think they're a little, maybe a little more careful with it, but. So you insure your work that's being shown? Uh, well, when I ship it, when I ship it. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So S for success, how do you measure success and how do you celebrate it? I mean, I think I measure success, uh, you know, I think that's 
can be, you know, it's very subjective. I think that. Of uh, course. And that's why I ask, especially yeah. because I think a lot of artists don't celebrate their success. They just jump from one thing to the next yeah, sure. and they don't stop to celebrate the milestones or the things that they have accomplished. We're all guilty of that. So that's yeah, yeah. why I actually added this one on kind of at the end is originally the acronym was just appeal. And then I was like, no, no, we need to measure success and celebrate it. So how do you measure your success and how do you celebrate it? Well, I mean, for me, it's, it's, um, you know, I want to, you know, at the end of like a given, I, I tend to work in series, right? So it's like, I'm going to make a, a body of work. Um, and if I can make a body of work that I'm semi happy with, that's, I find that to be a success. Um, but, you know, I want, you know, it's, I think there's what also- What makes you aspect. happy with your work, Todd? What, what emotion, how do you, when you look at a work, what is it that makes you say, yes, this, this works for me? Is it emotion? Is it? Yeah. I mean, I think there's something, yeah. I mean, those, I mean, that's an interesting question. It can be one of those things that's, that's, I mean, I can, I can talk about like, you know, I really like certain formal relationships. I like how the color turned out. I like that, you know, I mean, for mm -hmm. me, it's like, you know, I want, I want paintings to look, um, you know, I mean, I guess I'm framing that question sometimes in terms of, I mean, it's personal, but it's also maybe in the, in the eyes of the audience to a degree, like thinking what, what the painting is going to convey. And I mean, I think it goes back to like a, a, a book, like, um, you know, the, the, uh, what's it, the Roland Barthes, um, Cameron Lucida, right. This idea of, of the, the dictum and the punctum, right. The, the punctum is sort of like the thing that like reaches out and, and, that kind of pierces the the viewer grabs okay. the emotion versus just kind of the straight up content or the thing that can be seen ah. as like, well that's that's a person in a so like i want my work yeah if, if a painting ends up the emotional being, and the visual yeah sure like and, and in in the end i want the work to to grab people and and to for there to be and that the thing that they might be seeing and, and maybe experiencing yeah it's not gonna maybe be uh able to be kind of elucidated uh very clearly but there's that thing that just draws you to it you know when you're in a museum and there's uh 20 paintings in front of you and you're just like that one like and you gravitate towards it there's that thing that just um, you know, does it. And, and yes, yeah. yeah. so for me, like, um, you know, you know, I might be looking at a, at a studio full of paintings and it's, you know, as they develop, you start to see the ones that are like, this one's kind of reaching me. And, and, and again, that's time. I mean, they don't always reach me right away. Sometimes I, sometimes I have a painting I think is horrible and I have all these other paintings. I've done that. And then a month later I say that horrible painting is the best thing in here. Like, again, it's just, it's, it's such a, as much experience as you have. And I think unless you're, you know, really kind of looking and, and, um, and yeah, being critical every day, you can miss things, you know? And, um, yeah. So, but yeah. I find that interesting that you say that about the piece. Cause I've had that happen as well. I had yeah. an art professor challenge me, challenge a class. He said, if you guys can make a painting so bad that everybody in the class agrees that it's god awful, ugly, whatever, in the critique, you get an A. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fantastic. 
And I was like, I'm going to do it, man. I am going to do it. I made this painting with neon green and it was like a snail with a giant nose. And I put like gum coming out of the nose. And it was, I thought it was God awful. It was neon green and neon pink and mud colored. And oh, it was God awful. And I took it to class and they were like, this is awesome. And my best friend was like, this is amazing. I gave it to her. She hung it in her office forever. She was in like, um, she, she was in social work and therapy and stuff like that. That field, yeah. it got stolen. Somebody oh, stole it. It was so good, it got stolen. That's the best compliment you could ever. Your work was so. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> but I bet that was the professor's intention, right? To say if you let your guard down, right, and you think you're making something that's so horrible, it's there's a good chance it's going to be transformative in a really interesting way. Right. Yeah, I'll tell you still to this day for my art agent, he'll send me trend reports and I'll make artwork for him. And every time he picks the work that I think is the most. And that's what we do is students say that all the time, too. They show us a, a body, you know, hey, I made, uh, you know, 10 paintings in the last month. I love this painting. I love this painting. I hate this one here. Yeah, the one you hate is the best one. It's nine times out of 10. Right. 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 He'll inevitably pick the one that I think is the simplest or the most garish or, yeah. you know, yeah. That's or the, the one that works. you felt like you didn't put enough work into. I mean, I think that's the thing I think we, you know, with students we get and, and just myself. Right. It's this idea that there's a kind of guilt complex. I think you have as an artist sometimes if you feel like I didn't put enough like time or effort and it can't be good yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like like the time and the pain that goes into the piece is somehow linked to the value of the work yeah i think there's there's this sort of masochism with artists like you have to you know the stuff the old suffering adage right like we have to suffer a certain amount or like maybe it's not good and i try to get students to see the 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 fact and, and myself to see the fact that it's it's the larger uh you know this sort of collective experience and uh, that you've had right so it's like I should be able to make a painting fairly quickly now because I've been doing it for, I should have a sense right, of, right. I shouldn't have to like labor and labor and labor, even though I often do. And in the end, you know, the trick is for it to not look like it's been like over labored. Right. right. Uh, so, but yeah, it's, but sometimes you can't, you know, sometimes the painting just, it can happen or the work can happen, whatever medium it is. And you have to be able to recognize that, hey, it doesn't need anything else. And I'm really in a moment right now in my work where I'm trying to, I'm really trying to do that because it's always been uh, an issue for me. And I have so many people have come in my studios over the years and like, you know, hey, this is done, right? Well, no, probably not. And, you know, starting to realize, yeah, they're telling, I mean, they were telling me something even then and they were, but It's like, maybe I should start to just heed that advice. I I get it because that circle work I was telling you about when I posted circles and it was so simplistic, it was a serious, serious challenge for me as an artist because I was used to doing these layered pieces, uh, multiple exposures in the camera with lots of manipulation or or high dynamic range photographs that have these, you know, huge value ranges or art journals, which have these layers and layers of paint and text and, you know, imagery. And to step back and say, all you're allowed to make is a circle. 
and to keep it so simplistic. And, you know, I was looking at the Asian work, the, the ENSOs from, um, you know, antiquity. And I was doing this because with kids, you can't create that layered kind of work. And, right. and that simplicity was harder mm-hmm. to me than the really layered work, the, the big ornate layered, intricate, detailed work, you know, that's, that's fun. That's meditative, but creating something simple and stopping. Yeah. Yeah, You have to know what to leave out. Know when to stop. Right. So challenging. So, so challenging. I challenge you, Todd. I challenge you. Try it. Try something simple. Gonna try something simple. (laughs) I'm not a master of simplicity. (laughs) I know your work. I've looked at it. I know I've just given you a hard challenge. Well, thank you so much. I think this has been fabulously fun, a deep conversation about art and creating. Um, thank you. So where can people see your work? And I'm gonna I've I'm going to edit this. You'll see some work guys. If you haven't already noticed, I'm going to put lots of his pictures in here as we talk. But uh, if somebody wanted to purchase work, do you do commission work, by the way? Uh, no, I don't do commission work. Just I mean, it, I it ask was that like of a, lot of people. you know, public piece, maybe, um, but not not as like, yeah, like a painting or something. I was just curious. I tend to ask artists if they do commission work because many of them say that it's their most profitable or their most um, successful thing is doing commission work. And that's always a challenge within itself of, you know, I mean, I've done, I have done commission works for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been, and actually it's been great when I've done it. Um, But yeah, it's just something I, I tend to not um, do. I'm not against it. So Um, But in any case, uh, people can see my work at toddarsenal.com. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. And what galleries are you in right now? Right now? uh, I mean, I'm not represented um, by a specific gallery right now. Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been in shows recently in uh, different places, uh, New York and uh, I think Indianapolis. But yeah, I don't have a specific representation right now. Do you have any social media handles you'd like to mention? I don't have so yeah i'm not on social media i mean i do have an instagram account i don't remember what it is <laughs> and it's like there's nothing on it so it's gonna be very interesting all, <laughs> I'm right. <horrible> media, so. <laughs> all right so then since it's the website and the website alone spell out your website and your name for everyone so that they can get it yeah. right i will it is toddarsenault.com that's t-o-d-d-a-r-s-e-n-a-u-l-t.com Fantastic. Thank you, Todd. So, so great. Such a pleasure. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. I want to thank you for listening to the Artist Appeals. I hope you've enjoyed these episodes. I've recorded these free of charge to anybody. But if you'd like to buy something, we do now have a book for sale. That's right. (laughs) I'm so excited. I actually wrote a book with a little help from our guests. I took the transcripts from the first two seasons and I combed them line for line to find the best quotes, the best stories, the most actionable advice on how to make creative missioned artwork and all sorts of things. And I put them all in a book. Combine them with my experiences. I even put in some don't do this, make this mistake type of articles. And 
we've made it into a gloriously beautiful, colorful, fully illustrated, with lots of pictures and lots of examples book. You can check out the book at howtomakemoneyasanartist.com. That's right. That's the domain name, howtomakemoneyasanartist.com. You can get to it from the artist appeals dot com as well but just visit how to make money as an artist dot com to order your copy of the new book the artist appeals i'm very proud of it and i think you're gonna love it thanks for joining me on the artist appeals and i'll talk to you soon bye <music>